So come on back and uh, grab your Bible and uh, turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. That's where we'll be. Psalm 107. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for this evening. And we thank you for your word, your eternal word. And we thank you for the Psalms. Well, show us so many emotions. The things that we go through as people of, uh, who follow you, Lord, and uh, it's a blessing to study them and to, to see on them and uh, uh, to see how you're going to, by your Holy Spirit, knit these things to our hearts. We praise you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're on the fifth and final book of... Uh, the Psalms. There's five books of the Psalms, and I mean four. <laughs> I said five, didn't I? Four books of the Psalms, and we're in the fourth book, and uh, we're on Psalm 107 through Psalm 150. By the way, my wife told me when we were driving home last Wednesday, you missed a whole section of Psalm 105, and I won't use the word. No, I'm kidding. It was funny. She was joking with me. I'm like, wow, I just skipped right all over that. And I must have just turned the page and missed it. So don't, uh, you know, I'll, Timothy does it anyway. So don't worry about just telling me when I make a mistake. Right, Timothy? All right. <laughs> so uh, anyway, four books, Psalm 107 to 150. That's where we are. That's where we're going. And we get into Psalm 107. My uh, hope and prayer. What are we doing here? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just doing this just to do it? Are we just doing it so we can put up something on our website and say we did it? No. We're finding the Lord in the Scriptures. Even, uh, in the Old Testament, what are we doing? We're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ, and here you get it right out of the gate. And uh, this is a very fascinating psalm because it gives you four stories in one psalm. And... My Bible in Psalm 107 gives the summary, thanksgiving to the Lord for his great works of deliverance or redemption. Redemption. Mike pays attention. I'm sure he did that on purpose. Turn with me in the New Testament to the first chapter of Ephesians. And maybe what a wonderful thing that we could do to... Just memorize this. Verse 7, chapter 1, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption. Redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. How? Why? According to the riches of God's grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will. What was the mystery? It was Jesus. You read the Old Testament, one pressing thing that you see and know is that somebody is coming. And that is Jesus. Which He purposed in Himself. So we have redemption through His blood. Let me read you a couple other scriptures about redemption. Romans 3.24, doesn't this... I mean, this, this is exciting being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The buyback, the redeemed, bringing back. 
taking from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, putting into another kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of His love, the Bible tells us. That's what happens to you when you trust in Christ. You, you're redeemed. You're redeemed by the blood. The forgiveness of sins, and it's all because of grace, according to the riches of His grace. But we're justified freely, Romans 3.24 tells us. Uh, but uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became, became for us wisdom from God. Listen, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Maybe it's not best to say what is redemption. Maybe it's better to ask who is redemption. Jesus. Isn't that great? We can be bought back. And so why did I just take us on that for the um, uh, book 4, Psalm 107? Because it says here, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Now that's an interesting title. You know why it's so interesting? Because it's used more than 30 times in the Psalms, that phrase. Haven't you heard it before in the Psalms? It's a declaration of appreciation of God's, or through God's people, doing what? Praising Him for His loving kindness. That's what that means right there. What are we to do? Praise Him for His uh, loving kindness. Why do I say that? Because mercy right there is the word hased which is mercy, loving kindness. It's hard to describe in the English. It's so fantastic and spectacular, that characteristic, that attribute of God, that they, don't, they can't properly, properly get it into the English. They use different words for it at different times. God is so amazing and so spectacular. His mercy endures forever. And then it says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. <laughs> what are you to be doing? What am I to be doing in sharing with people? Telling them that the Lord's mercy endures forever. He's so kind and good. Here's a great practical tip for evangelizing from this verse. You ready for it? Wherever you go, whatever you do, it would behoove you. It would be a great thing for you as you are a follower of Christ to early on in the new environment in which you go, tell people that you're a follower of Christ. No sitting the fence. You ever done that before? You just sort of went with the flow. People were wondering, trying to pull you into the things of the world, maybe at work, maybe in a friend group, maybe in an extracurricular activity. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Tell people you are saved. Well, that's an interesting, direct, honest thing to do. To be saved, to be redeemed. In the Old Testament, uh, it talks of His great deliverance. It's God's great deliverance from sin to a life filled with Him. Isn't that great? Let the redeemed of the Lord Say so, Psalm 107. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceit... Oh, sorry, I went to the wrong one. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. See, you could have told me right there. But anyway, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out the lands from the east and from the west. 
from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness, verse 4, in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Now watch, four times in this Psalms, in this Psalm, four times, it says this, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Watch, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry. But that men would give thanks and, uh, for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, I want you to see something here. You have four times they're going to start coming rapid fire. We're talking about four aspects of God's redemptive love or work. Ready? The first one is to the lost, to a person in the wilderness who's lost in a desolate way. Have you ever felt lost in a desolate way? God bless you. People are lost. And what's really fascinating about each one of the four that we're going to look at tonight is Jesus is the answer directly. You ready for this? If somebody's lost, what did Jesus tell them plainly? I am the way and the truth and the life. You don't have to wander, wonder, not wander, wonder with Jesus. He gives it to you plainly. If you don't know your way in life, he is the way. If you're lost in life, he is the way. If you don't know what to bank your life on, like count on uh, what's true and what's not true, he tells you, I'm the truth. I'm the way. If you feel like dead and dying inside, and I don't mean physically, he says, I'm the life. I'm the life. So look, in this one, in this little vignette or uh, story, there's this person who's wandering in the wilderness in a desolate way, verse 4, and they have no city to dwell in. And they're hungry and they're thirsty and their soul is fainting. They're, they're ready to give up. And they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them out of their distresses and led them forth by the right way. And of course, that happened in the history of Israel. Yes, Old Testament. But as I said, in the New Testament, Jesus is the way. Wow. So great. So he says, isn't that something that you should stand up and give thanks to the Lord for his goodness? He sent his son, Jesus. And he gives you the person and work of the Holy Spirit now that Jesus has ascended. And so we could praise the Lord. How good is him, or he for doing this for us and for his wonderful works to the children of men? Now, in Israel's history, you can see it. They were wandering in the wilderness and he still guided them. But look in your own personal history, folks. Haven't you found that to be true? That when you were dry and in the desert, that when we turn to the Lord, he takes you to himself the way and fills you. Watch, for he satisfies the longing soul. He satisfies uh, the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Wow, open your mouth wide. That's from a, a different... Psalm, an earlier psalm. Take in the Lord. How do we take in the Lord? We, we just become consumed with God's Word and obeying it. 
and praying to him and being people of praise. See, we're seeking satisfaction in every other thing. Relationships. Are relationships good? Yes, they can be. But they can also be idols. Careers, they good? Yeah, you can worship the Lord through them and your relationships, they're good. But they can become idols. And the thing about idols is they never satisfy. But Jesus satisfies. And notice it's a longing soul to long after him. He rewards those who diligently seek him, folks. That's a drop-dead, solid promise of the Lord. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, you might say, well, you know, in between, you know, the three shows of Netflix I watched last night, I said a little prayer and I never heard from him. Well, check diligently in the Bible or in the dictionary. Just Let's just lay our lives down for him and find him and be satisfied in him and wait on him and listen to his still small voice and take in his word and be people who are obedient to be satisfied. There's nothing healthier than a satisfied person, is there? There's nothing healthier than a satisfied person. And that's what he has for us in victory as Christians. And the reward is him. The goal is him. The prize is him. It's not a paradigm. It's him. He's alive. He's a person. He loves you. Those, verse 10, who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. So what's this vignette about? It's about a person in prison. It's showing you a person in prison. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Whoever this is, they're on death row. And they're in affliction and irons because why? They rebelled against the words of God. That's always what happens to those who rebel. They're in prison. We're in prison prior to the time that we trust in Christ. That's why we can say the truth set us free, the truth of Jesus Christ, because they rebelled and despised the counsel of the Most High. Don't tell me what to do. I've got my own life to live. That's what we said previously prior to the time that we surrendered our lives to Christ. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. It's almost as if the psalmist is saying, we forget, we forget, we forget. Don't forget, he's saying. And here... I've already mentioned it to you. He's the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the truth shall set us free. Oh, man. You're never more free in life than when you're submitted to Jesus. You're under Jesus. You're abiding in Jesus. That's when we become free. When we get to the point we say, Lord, what is it that men could do to us? Oh, kill the body? I'm not going to be a martyr and look to get killed, but look, if you kill me, oh, I'm with the Lord. But if you don't kill me, here I am, Lord, and use me in whatever way. What a blessing. You're never more free than that. What could man do to you? And so he goes on. 
and for his wonderful works there to the children of men. End of verse 15. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Here they're sick, apparently, like physically ill, because of their sin. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They had no appetite. And they drew near to the gates of death. I mean, they're ready to die. That's the picture. Then they cried out to the Lord of trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent, isn't this fascinating? He sent his word and healed them. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1.1. Jesus is the word. And so you see even here that Jesus went around, and he... You can see it many places in the gospel, Matthew 15, Luke 4. He healed all kinds of different people. He healed. But when you get to the book of Revelation, don't you start to get choked up when you read? There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more sickness. Because why? Why, do you, why does that do something in us. It's because we look around and we see people who are struggling and hurting and, and we feel for them and, or we're struggling and hurting. And, and, and the Lord gives us a promise that ultimately we'll be leaping for joy, wh whether we can leap now or not, as we worship him in heaven. He sent his word and healed them. Isn't that cool? And delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Don't forget. It's easy to forget because we come here Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. It's easy to make it routine. It's easy, but don't forget. Thank him. He saved us from the terrors of hell. Well, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to heavens. They go down to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, man and are at their wit's end. To the people who are in the storm and are tossed about, does that describe you? They cry out to the Lord and he brings them out of their distresses. They cry out and he brings them out of our distresses and he calms the storm. Remember, as they're going across the Sea of Galilee. And you know that story. They were worried and afraid. And he calms the storm. And of course, he's showing us there that he had um, uh, sovereignty and dominion over the natural laws, of course. But what else is he doing? He's telling us through that story that he's the Messiah because the Messiah would be the one who, do, who could calm the storm. Isn't that great? So that its waves are still. And you know to the mind of people in Israel and, and of the time, the sea was mysterious and very scary. And so he could even have an impact on that so that its waves are still then they're glad because they're quiet so he guides them to their desired haven <laughs> isn't that what he does for us your home is in heaven you've been seated in the heavenly places 
He gives you the Holy Spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing your way to home. You're an ambassador. You're not a, you're an alien in this world. You're just passing through, but going back or going to be with the Lord. He guides them to the desired heaven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Don't forget. Please don't forget is what the psalmist is saying. You guys are so quiet today. I'm used to Timothy heckling me by now. Let, (laughs) here we go. Now I feel better. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Watch this. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. The things that he does are fruitful. He brings life. A fruitful land into barrenness for the wicked of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water. He, I wrote this in my Bible. The Lord can change things. And don't forget it. Don't put your hands up in the air exasperated and say, it's never going to happen. Maybe it's somebody you're praying for salvation. He can bring life out of something that's really dead, and we're dead. Really dead is probably superfluous. There he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place, and sows fields and plants vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly. And he doesn't let their cattle decrease. Then they're diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, sorrow. He pours contempt on princes. He can bring low... Very highly respected people. Ask Tiger Woods. Ask President Clinton. And I'm not making fun of them, by the way. I'm saying it with empathy. And we could pick out a million people. A million people. And, and we're not pointing the fingers and saying, oh, look at them. We're saying the Lord can bring us low or can bring and change things. He can switch out nations, folks. And he causes them to wander in the wilderness where there's no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things. Whoever is wise will observe these things. He'll look at these things. He'll think about it. He'll understand the loving kindness of the Lord. There's a prayer. Put it in your prayer journal right now. Lord, help me to understand more and more your loving kindness. F.B. Meyer said this about this psalm. I think it's fantastic. Consider the successive vignettes of this psalm. Love broods over the weary uh, caravan that faints in the desert. He visits the prison houses with its captives. He watches, uh, uh, I can't read my writing, by by our beds of pain, there we go, our beds of pain, notices each lurch of the tempest driven vessel, brings the weary host from the wilderness into fruitful soil. Wow, what a psalm. F.B. Meyer. We'll turn with me to Psalm 108 now. Psalm 108. 
Psalm 108 is a compilation of two psalms. Did you know that? Psalm 57 and Psalm 60. Here the psalmist, because of a different situation, sort of cuts them in half. Not really like that, but sort of. He uses two different psalms, which tells you something, I think. As a follower of Christ, or a follower, yeah, a follower of Christ, it's never duplicitous. It's never uh, wasted that you keep going over the scriptures. Oh, I'm not going to go to church today. I mean, he's preaching on the Psalms. I'm such an expert in the Psalms. I've read the Psalms. I know the Psalms. He's teaching on the Psalms. I know it. That's not what this psalmist said. This psalmist said, wow, Psalm 57, Psalm 60, praise you God, because it it fits just what I'm going through right now. And I'm going to use them in this new situation that's risen up. So here you have uh, five verses from 57, eight verses from 60. And it's a song, a psalm of David. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. Sort of, wait a minute, David, are you bragging? I don't think so. I think what David is saying is that he's singing of the strength of how his heart has been established in God and by God. Thank you, God, that you've started to begin to establish my heart. And I'm going to sing and give praise even with my glory. The thing that you're doing in me, I'm going to praise you about. That's what I think he's saying. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. Now, this is just so beautiful. Here you have this king, this David, this sharpshooter with a sling, the slayer of giants, this one who could fight lions and bears, lived out in the wilderness. I mean, a man's man. And he loves to play music. He knows an instrument. He's learned the instrument. He has played for his father-in-law and uh, sort of calmed him with his music. And he, he's a writer. I mean, he's a writer. Do you know how introspective and in touch with your feelings you have to be to be a writer? And there the Lord uses that. This is a guy that has all these things. And one of the things he does, well, in all of the things he does, he does his best to give glory to the Lord, including the ability to play these instruments. And so he says, awake, lute and harp. I'm going to get up so early. I've got a busy schedule. I'm the king. Or I am a king. I'm going to get up so early. When the dawn comes up, the Lord's going to hear me praising. I'm going to awaken the dawn with my praises of you early in the morning. There's just something about early morning. Some of us, you know, can do it. There's guys in here. I don't know about the gals, but I know there's guys in here that get up really early and they make sure there's something about the morning. Look at Romans 11 verse 16. I love this verse. It's one maybe you would love to um, memorize. For if the first fruit is holy, 
Romans 11:16. If the first fruit is holy, well then, the lump is also holy. That makes me feel good cuz I'm lumpy. I'm the lump, right? If the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, I know this is talking in the era or the area or the context of Israel, but it gives us an amazing principle of first fruits, giving your best to the Lord. I remember how I always describe this. Well, when I was going to church as a kid, I was like, oh, great, you know, the weekend. Ooh, the weekend's here. Fantastic. You know what I'm going to do is, as I got to be an older kid, I'm going to just work real hard during the week. I'm going to party on Friday and Saturday. And then, if man, if there's anything left, maybe, maybe I'll get all out there and give it to the Lord. But I don't even know if I did that. But you get what I'm saying? And there's this thing I think we think as people who work during the week that, oh, Sunday's the day to cruise. Well, Sunday's the first day of the week, folks. And Sunday, we give our best to the Lord. Mornings, we give our best to the Lord. Giving, we give our best to the Lord. First, out of the beginnings, not out of the stuff that's left over. By the way, I have this thing. Hopefully, I'll have it for you next week. It's called The Morning Watch by Andrew Murray. If you want me to just email it to you or text it to you, I can do it. It's free online. The Morning Watch by Andrew Murray is from a book called In the School of Obedience by Andrew Murray. And one chapter is about the morning watch. And I read this about maybe 15 years ago, and I was blown away about what it is that you're doing meeting with the Lord in the mornings. If you want that, I can send that to you. Uh, Wait, Luke and Harp, I'll awaken the dawn, early morning. There was something for David. There was something for Jesus. There's something for us to give our best to the Lord, our first to the Lord. Put your phone away. You don't have to look at it first thing in the morning. You don't need to look at the texts. You don't need to look at the emails. You don't look at, need to look at ESPN. You could do that after you meet with the Lord. I'll praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I'll sing praises to you among the nation. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. So, uh, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth, that, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand, and hear me. I hate to tell you, left-handers, but this is like save with your right hand means do it in a spectacular way with great power. And that's how they referred to right hand back then. But God has spoken in his holiness. I'll rejoice. And then he goes through these different areas of uh, uh, Israel. I'll divide Shechem. That's the capital of Ephraim in the north. And measure out the valley of Sukkoth. That's the valley that comes down from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. We drive it when we go from the Sea of Galilee down to Jericho. And Gilead is mine, and Manasseh uh, is mine. That was east of the Jordan. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Ephraim was a symbol of military and civil government and all that sort of thing. And Judah is my lawgiver, and Moab is going to be my washpot. An enemy of God's people was going to be the place where feet were washed. I mean, washpot. 
Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Shoes weren't looked as being good things because you walked through bad things. <laughs> and over Philistia I will triumph. And you could look in 2 Samuel 8 and see these different triumphs over these countries. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off, and you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Now, I got a quote for that. <laughs> How about this one? Faith is neither a coward or a sluggard. Faith is neither, neither a coward or a sluggard. She knows that God is with her, and therefore she does valiantly. She knows that he will uh, tread down her enemies, and therefore she arises to tread them down in his name. That's faith. And look back to verse 13. Through God we're going to do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And then Psalm 109. This is the last imprecatory psalm. People get weirded out uh, about imprecatory psalms. Do you know what an imprecatory psalm is? It's when you cast, call down, pray down judgment on, a, on an enemy. And there's several here in the psalms, and this is the last of them. I don't think it is, although other people would disagree with me. But I don't think it's written out of vin, uh, vengeance or vin, uh, you know, vindictiveness or, you know, seeking personal revenge, although it sort of sounds like it. Instead, what I think they're doing is they're keeping the attributes of God at the forefront of what they're doing and asking God to act upon his justice, his sovereignty, his protection, even act in wrath at some points. But anyway, this is one of them, and it's pretty harsh, some people think. Listen to this. Don't keep silent, O God of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. You ever had anybody talk about you? Raise your hand. Just a few. No fun, is it? Well, this psalmist knew all about it. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They've spoken against me with a lying tongue. Don't you love it when people lie about you? Isn't that fun? It's no fun. It hurts. It's rough. It's tough. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred. Don't you like to be hated? Do you like to be hated? And fought against me without a cause. They're straining, striving against everything I do. They shut down everything I try. You ever said something like that? In return for my love, they are my accusers. I love them, and they turn around and accuse me falsely, lying. Oh, that's so fun. But then you get to the next little line. It's so powerful. But I give myself to complaining, gossiping, talking about the other person behind their back, running from the problem, feeling low about myself, um, disoriented, can't concentrate. And I'm not making fun, but it doesn't say that. It actually says, but I give myself 
to prayer. And in my Bible, myself is in the italics, and here's why. This is amazing. The Hebrew is more abrupt and therefore even stronger, voice tells us. It says literally, but I prayer, but I prayer. That is, I am all prayer, and I'm characterized by prayer. While my enemies are uttering false words about me to other people, trying to do me harm, I am speaking to God. I am praying to God always. This person resorted to prayer, and it's much more than I give myself to prayer. I don't know if you caught what Boyce was telling you there. In the Hebrew, it means I am prayer. It's just, it consumed me, praying to my Lord because I felt so bad about what these people were doing, I ran to the only one who could help me about it. And that was my Lord. I gave myself to prayer. I am prayer. I came in prayer. I talked to him about my helplessness. I talked to him about how much I was hurting. I talked to him about these people who were doing it. And I just wanted to stay there in the sweet fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. I wanted to tell him my fears and my anxieties. And I asked him to heal me and touch me. And we walked and we talked about it. I gave myself to prayer. I am prayer. That's what it says. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked man over him and let accusers stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from their desolate places. Let the creditor seize all that he has and let strangers plunder his labor. Pretty rough, huh? Uh, let there be none to extend mercy to him, nor let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let, the, let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be continually before the Lord, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth, because he didn't remember to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart." As he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he didn't delight in blessings, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garments, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him and for a belt with which he girds himself. Continually, let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers and to those who speak evil against my person. Now watch, here comes the pivot. But you, O oh God, deal with me for your name's sake. Because your mercy is good, deliver me. In other words, Lord, do I, I've been spouting off here about my enemies, and rightly so. I've counted on your characteristics and your attributes, and that's what I'm praying. And I think it's out of that recognition and not personal vindictiveness. But people could argue about that and we'd still be brothers and sisters. But here's what I like. Deal with me for your name's sake, Lord. In the midst of this, what are you doing in me? Let me search my own heart 
and see where I've gone wrong in this and help me if I need help in it. But Lord, I'm so thankful that your mercy is good and you deliver. For I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. See, there's the prayer, the walking with him and the talking with him. I'm gone like a shadow when it lengthens. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting and my flesh is feeble from lack of fatness. Lord, this is really hurting me. I'm letting this bother me in the wrong way. Help. I've also become a reproach to them, verse 25. When they look at me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord my God, and save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. When we get out the other side of this, I don't want to be able to say, or I don't want to say, this psalmist is telling us, I don't want to say, look, accusers, I told you so. When I get the, out the other side of this, whatever it is, or when I'm going through it, I want my accusers, no matter what, to look at me and say, the Lord has done it in that person's life. Oh, come on now. Let them see Jesus in you, who being one who was tried, found guilty even though he was innocent, could say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, verse 28, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with, sh or be clothed with shame and let them cover themselves with their own disgraces with the mantle. I'll greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Wouldn't you though? When you get through something like that and the Lord delivers you through and he changes and molds and shapes you in a way where you're not pointing back at the person and saying, see, I told you so. You're the idiot here. I was the right one. You're not saying any of that. You're just saying as you come through the other side, Lord, thank you so much that somehow, some way, you and I have become closer in fellowship because we've suffered or I've suffered. You, of course, more, Lord, but you've put me through this suffering. And now I just know just a little bit more of what you went through. And we have fellowship through it. That's what the Bible says. In the fellowship of his sufferings. And I'm not concerned anymore, Lord, with pointing back at them, the accusers. I'm concerned with you and consumed with you. And I'm thankful that through this time of prayer, as I've come back to you, I would have never come back to you, Lord, if I didn't have this problem or this suffering in my life. But I've come back. Lord, you've been so faithful to satisfy me. That's what's happening here. I'll greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise him among the multitude. For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor. Remember, this psalmist had gotten to the place where he said, I'm poor and needy. Oh, by the way, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, to save him from those who condemn him. Well, these are incredible psalms. You could pick them apart and think about them and see and get more meat off the bone as you go through. One of the things I think this is telling you, just here, 107 through 109 in book four, is that circumstances don't have to matter. For your peace and your joy and your strength, circumstances don't have to matter. 
If you'll come to me in prayer and praise and thanksgiving and fellowship, then the circumstances of life can wax and wane, but the joy of the Lord could be our strength. So let's pray for that now. And I just pray for each of us. Wouldn't it be great? I don't know. If one of the things that they said about the people who attend and come to church here, man, those people, they gave themselves in prayer. It was real. The reality of Jesus in those people's lives, you can tell they've spent much time and given themselves much in time with the Lord. Not just doing church and going through the motions, but you can tell they've been with the Lord. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do as we look through these and are so blessed by them. The temptation is that we could get lost here in book four as we move on and keep going. Kind of all the different Psalms, you kind of just blow by them. But Lord, you really seem to be saying here that you can take the dead and bring to life. You can take the hard and make it beautiful in our lives. And I just pray, we pray together, that you'd help us by the power and person and work of the Holy Spirit to do these things as you give us resource in life. And I pray if there's nobody here or if there's somebody here that doesn't know you in a saving way, that they would surrender and trust in you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.